we've been talking about how do we reach out? How do we show love and hospitality to other people, even people who are really different from us? I was sitting there last night. I, was, I put my head on the pillow. And it was kind of one of those things where I couldn't, I couldn't quite relax just yet. It's been, it's been a real whirlwind of a week. And I know for a lot of you, it has been a, uh, a whirlwind of a week. Uh, I was just thinking, man, in the last like seven, eight, nine days, I found myself at a, at a wedding celebrating marriage with folks. And I, and I got to see all these people from our church pitching in to make it a special occasion for this couple and to just make it so amazing for them. And like the next day, I, I found myself in a room uh, with amazing people who were all trying to figure out how to best help this family who was struggling with illness and how to do everything and meals and all this kind of stuff. And I was just watching these people, our people from our church, like come together and do these amazing things. And then later in the week, I find myself in the room with this family mourning the death of a wife and mother. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing all of these amazing people from our church who are pitching in to do everything they can for this family and bring meals and take care of kids and comfort and support. And like literally a few hours later, I find myself in a home helping a friend celebrate their birthday. And I see all these people coming together to make it a special event and do what they can. And they bring snacks and gifts and all this and games and to celebrate this. And I just got to thinking last night, that is what being part of a church community is all about. That right there. I mean, you can go get preaching on a podcast. You can get some better preaching than mine on any podcast, right? For sure. You can go get good singing, watch YouTube, but being part of a community where people are like coming together, getting into each other's lives. That is what being part of a community is about. And so we're talking about, you know, we've been talking about this, uh, this, this series, Radical uh, Hospitality, that we just started. This is a little short series. Started last week. It ends this week. This idea of, of hospitality. But the thing all those things had in common was whether you're celebrating marriage or whether you're going through the suffering of struggles and sickness, or you're going through the devastation of, of mourning and the grief of mourning, or you're going through the joy of a birthday. All of these things. The thing they have in common, you need other people to, to do that with you, right? You got to have other people to do that with you. Whether you're celebrating or grieving, you got to have other people doing it with you. And you, you need other people to come and contribute and to do what they do best to get through it and to make it what it needs to be. This idea of hospitality is like more than just, like we said, how to put on a nice dinner party. This idea of hospitality in the kingdom is a radical idea because as we looked last week, we discovered the, the Greek word for hospitality. Anybody remember what it is? Philozania, right? And we talked about we want to turn into philozaniacs. And this word philozania is a combination of these words philio, which is to love. But it goes even beyond the kind of hospitality we think of as having friends over. Because this, that, that zanos in the word is the word for stranger. 
the word for stranger, the other, the foreigner, right? And so Zenos is anybody who's outside of your realm of, of the familiar and comfortable. And we're talking about people who are different from you, uh, people who are different from you. Maybe it's nationality or maybe it's just, you know, different upbringing or different culture, different language. Uh, it can even be people who strike you as strange, right? Uh, but God calls you and me to not just tolerate the stranger, the different, but to love the stranger, right? That has to be supernatural, doesn't it? Because that doesn't come naturally to us. Uh, it doesn't come naturally because people tend to associate. It's just natural. We associate, our, our social groups are built around uh, people who are familiar, who are comfortable, who either look like us or act like us or believe like us or think like us, that kind of thing. They tend to look, and we, and we look on folks outside those groups naturally, uh, sometimes with suspicion and with fear. And we talked about that too, because those, those people, when we say those people, those people are strange. Those people, what are they up to? Like, what's their real motives? Those people, they're the enemy. And of course, we have a Greek word that's entered into our language, and it's the word xenophobia. It's that same xenos, the other, the stranger, but now it's phobia, and it encapsulates this idea of xenos and phobia, which is a fear. It's fear of the other. And it's just so interesting that we have that word. We know what xenophobia is. And the, the New Testament, the kingdom scriptures, tell us about this whole other thing, this philoxenia, and which is exactly the opposite of that. Love of the stranger, love of the other. That's what kingdom people are called to. Instead of having a phobia for the stranger, we're to have a love for the other. And it's not just an abstract, like I said, it's not just an abstract sort of love, uh, just sort of a tolerance of them, uh, but it's a functional love with concrete actions that make the stranger feel like family. And in doing so, we talked about how when we do that, we collapse this whole us-them dynamic that characterizes all social groups, us-them. In the kingdom, we, we said that there is no them. There's only us, and then there's those that we're doing all that we can to love into family. There's just the us, and everybody, we want to be the us, right? Everybody else is just the people who are not yet us, but they're going to be, right? That's, that's the way we see it. And we can do this because we were estranged from God. Every single one of us were a stranger. We were estranged from God. God showed extravagant philozania for us. So that's why we are to extend this to the stranger. We're to reflect God's character to other people. We're called to be people of radical hospitality. So this morning, I want to hear in part two, I want to I continue unpacking this. I want to look at two important passages. Um, you, if you've been going to church for a while, you'll probably recognize these passages. But they're convicting passages, right? They, they kind of are. Are you ready to be convicted a little bit this morning? Okay, because as I shared last week, I'm all about sharing my misery uh, of my own conviction uh, with you. This, this stuff has convicted me, and I just, I just I don't want to suffer alone. I'm just going to pass this right along to you. Uh, so I'm inviting you in on this. But listen, it's a good conviction, okay? You know, in the world, you get convicted, what happens? You get thrown in prison, right? Conviction means bondage. In the, in the kingdom, conviction means truth, and the truth will set you free, Right? So we want to be convicted. We want, because conviction in the kingdom means our eyes are open and the, the, the bondage that holds us down, the lies, they, they, fall, they fall away. So we want, we want this. This sets us free. All right. So we're going to look at two passages this morning. The first one is probably the most frequently cited passage throughout church history, surely, uh, when we're talking about hospitality. And it's found in Matthew 25. 
And uh, in Matthew 25, starting verse 31, Jesus tells a story. He paints a picture. It's, it, it's an interesting uh, sort of picture he paints here. It's, it's judgment day. And Jesus is addressing the sheep. And that's how he characterizes his people. They're on the right. And the goats, these are the, not his people. They're on the left. I'm not going to read the whole passage because it's pretty long. But here's the, the gist of it. He says this. Um, now, I do want to point out one thing. One thing, we, and we alluded to this last week. For us, uh, there, is, there is no them, right? There's just us and the people we want to become us. And so there is no, we, we don't do this distinction, the us and them, and they're not like us. And so we're, no, no, no. And what did we say? We, we say, until judgment day, we treat every single human being with unsurpassable worth, right? And so, so even though in this picture, we are going to see this picture where there does seem to be a distinction between folks. That's a distinction God makes. And it's a distinction that comes later out of this world. That's not something for us to do. We're not God. We're not the judge. It's not, we're not starting judgment day now. Here we go. So in verse uh, 34, these are the words of Jesus. He says this, come you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And it says that the people who were standing there were like, I don't remember doing that for you, Lord. But he comes back and says, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he says, then he'll say to those on the left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire. Let's see, am I on the right one? Yeah, 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 sorry. Depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't welcome me. I was naked. You didn't give me clothing. Sick in prison. You didn't visit me. And these guys also were like, we don't remember doing that to you, Jesus. And he says, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Bam. All right. There's a lot to unpack here, and we don't have time to unpack it all, but I do want to point out a couple of things that are very interesting. One of the important things for us to see here is that Jesus makes our willingness in this life to practice hospitality to the stranger in need, to show compassion. He makes that the criteria in this passage of what it means to be children of God. That's what distinguishes in this passage is what distinguishes the goats from the sheep. So this ability to love like the Father loves, that we're, we're given that ability by God's grace, uh, by the power of his Holy Spirit, to love indiscriminately, including the stranger, even the enemy. Later we're told flat out the words, love your enemy, in case we were like, well, I don't know about that, what that Greek word is. It's the enemy, right? That is the distinguishing characteristic of a child of God. Very interesting. And what's really mind-boggling and revealing to me about this passage is that God personally identifies with the stranger in need. He personally does. He says, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you, you gave me something to drink. When I was sick, when I was naked, he personally identifies. When we do it to the stranger, we do it to Jesus. And when we don't do it to the stranger, it's like our offense is taken just as personally by him. 
Right? He says to the goats, he says, I was hungry, I was naked, I was sick, and I was in prison. You didn't share your food, your clothes, you didn't have time to visit with me or comfort me. You didn't invite me in. Jesus personally identifies with the stranger in need. Now, I do want to be clear on this. Jesus isn't saying that the sheep have earned their right uh, to get into the kingdom because they did good deeds. We're not saved by our good deeds. No one earns their way into the kingdom um, because there's no accounting system in, in the kingdom. The right standing with God is all by God's grace. It's by grace through faith. But what Jesus is saying here is that the, the sheep are welcomed into this hospitable kind of kingdom because they were hospitable. Right? They're welcomed in by Jesus because they have already welcomed in Jesus. When they welcomed the stranger, the goats are dismissed because they have already dismissed Jesus in their life. And so this shows us that Judgment Day really isn't about uh, God imposing sentences on people. It's all about really pulling back the curtain to to just tearing away the facade and revealing what is true. That is what Judgment Day. Judgment Day is just a revealing of the truth, right? All the masks get dropped on Judgment Day. All of our masks, for good or for bad, they all get dropped. And so what gets revealed on that day is just people's true character. And so the, the question we got to ask ourselves is, is my character compatible with Jesus? Do I desire to do what Jesus does? Do I desire to emulate him, to mimic him? Do I speak his words? Do I love like him? Do I love like he loves? And if not, well, then that's okay. It's a really good thing that you are here in a church whose stated purpose is to help each other become more like Jesus, right? Lucky you. You couldn't be in a better place if that's not you yet, right? Because that's why we're here, to help each other become more like Jesus. That's what we want. And, and we got to be genuine about, are we taking this seriously? Do we really take seriously the kingdom that Christ calls us to? Are we cultivating the kind of mind and heart and lifestyle that is welcoming of Jesus? Not just Easter Sunday. Yeah, we want you to invite people on Easter. But are we doing that as a lifestyle that is welcoming of the Jesus that is in everybody we come across? If we are, it'll show by the fact that, that we are welcoming strangers, that we're loving people, that we would naturally consider odd, that we would consider on the other side, that we would consider suspicious, that we might consider beneath us or unworthy, because God himself, we find out, finds everybody incredibly worthy. He declares every human being to have unsurpassable worth. There are no unworthy. He says everybody is unsurpassable worth, and so we ought to go and do likewise. Amen? Just as you do to the least of these, you do it unto me. May we be able to answer that question on that day of judgment when we stand before our God, that question, did you love people like they were Jesus? May we be able to answer it with a big, yes, I did. Yes, I did, Lord. What we're up against here is, uh, one of the things we're up against is that our culture systematically conditions us not to do this. This is, goes against everything in our culture. Uh, we are systematically, maybe even, well, probably, definitely, even biologically 
conditioned uh, to pay all of our attention and all of our concern on ourselves. That's just how we, you know, it not necessarily makes you evil, but it does make you human. We pay attention to ourselves and our loved ones, our circle, our, our tribe, our, our, those in our circle. And it's important to pay attention to your own welfare, absolutely, uh, to the welfare of your loved ones. Everyone does that. Everyone does that. Heck, even the, the animal kingdom does that, right? When I was in, uh, Melissa and I were in Africa, we were driving through the little Serengeti prairie thing there, and out there we hear this, woo, 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 and they were saying, that's hyenas out there. And I was like, ooh, that's exciting. And then we saw them, and it was like too much excitement for this city boy. I was like, nah, because I know, they were like running alongside and looking like, do you have a flat tire? Because you look delicious, you know. <laughs> and I was really glad we were in a good, strong truck. And uh, later when I got home, I'm watching, you know, I like these documentaries and, you know, the things on the channels. And so, it, and it was about hyenas, and it was, but it was talking about the little family. And now I'm seeing them in a whole new light, you know, because out there, they're just the enemy. They're horrible. Like even the Messiah, like we hate hyenas. They're like worse than lions, right? The hyenas are, are they're just vicious just to be mean. They're vicious. But like at home, now I'm watching this little show about the hyenas and the, how the, the mama takes care of the cute little cubs. And they're so cute when they're little. And, and, and like the whole pack, you know, uh, comes to the aid of one who gets cornered. If one gets in trouble, the whole pack is there to help. And I'm like, oh, this noble stuff. And this is hyenas, right? These are like, you know, we would say this is like the worst of the worst. But there's they're, they're the animals. Even animals do that. They take care of their own. Uh, and, and so we are called as kingdom people to go beyond that. We're called to go way beyond that. We're supposed to be better than a hyena. Uh, and so that includes having space for the stranger in need. And that's radical hospitality in the kingdom. It's one of the distinguishing marks of a child of God according to this. Just as you do to the least of these, you do it unto me. So the question becomes, is there a way we can cultivate a mind that notices and cares about the stranger? Anna cares about and notices the Jesus that is in the stranger, every stranger we come across. It was a quote by Mother Teresa. She said this, welcoming Jesus. In other words, this is how you, you uh, reveal Jesus in your own heart. Welcoming Jesus is about seeing and adoring Jesus in the distressing disguise of the poor. Seeing and adoring Jesus in the distressing disguise of the poor. I was reminded that in the old, in the ancient Jewish culture, even being poor wasn't just like what we would think of, oh, is, oh, that's an unfortunate thing that happened to you. We're going to take care of you. In the ancient culture, even poverty or suffering was actually a sign of God's judgment. Remember, the disciples would ask Jesus sometimes, oh, this person is going through bad stuff. What did they do wrong? So it was kind of like a sign of God's judgment. So for Jesus to say, we, you take care of the poor, you, you take care of those who are unfortunate, who are in need, who are suffering, He's going beyond just be nice. He's going about, he's talking about being indiscriminate with your love. Indiscriminate, not saying who deserves and who doesn't deserve. It's about seeing Jesus in the most distressing disguises. And so the question is, folks, can we see Jesus? Can we recognize Jesus in the disguise of the hungry, the naked, the sick, the prisoner, the homeless? Will we have space in our brain and in our heart to recognize Jesus in the disguise of the person with a disability uh, who, who has very little contact with the outside world? 
Can we recognize Jesus in the disguise of the grieving neighbor whose spouse has walked out on the family? Can we see Jesus in the elderly lady in the parking lot who obviously maybe needs some help getting those groceries into the car? Can we see and recognize Jesus in the gay teenager who you know is being bullied online? Do we see Jesus in the Middle Eastern sales clerk that other people are looking at with suspicion? Do we see Jesus? Can we recognize him in the disguise of the senior citizen who can't get out of the house and who has nobody who visits them? Can you see Jesus and recognize Jesus in the annoying person at work who believes all those conspiracy theories on, from the other side of your political aisle? Do you see and recognize Jesus in that person? What about the new person who comes to church and doesn't know anybody yet? The extent you do this to the least of these you do it to Jesus. You do it to Jesus. I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in fear. There's an element of fear involved here. You wouldn't think is there, but there's a fear that to show love is to show approval. Right? And that is a lie straight from hell. If I may be so bold. How many of us we hear examples of people, maybe in the list I just read there, and instantly there's this little, little battle of voices in your head going, yeah, but I don't know, I don't know. Does their righteousness make them or, make, or eliminate them as candidates for my hospitality? Right? Aren't you glad that is not how Jesus looked at us when we were far from him? Amen. Aren't you glad he didn't go, I don't know. I don't agree with all the stuff he did. I might have to withhold my love. Oh, Jesus. You can't even picture that, right? You can't even picture it because he didn't. He died on a cross for the entire world, withholding love from nobody. And so, so why can't we cultivate a heart that goes beyond this? Because hospitality toward the least of these, it may seem like a little thing. We're talking about hospitality. But Jesus identifies with the very least. And that makes it a very, very big thing. Amen. Amen. Second passage I want to look at. This is probably the second most pointed to passage when it comes to teaching on hospitality. And that is the uh, famous story of the Good Samaritan that's in, cha in Luke chapter 10. And it starts off with uh, there's this lawyer. And to be a lawyer in first century Jewish context means uh, you're a specialist in Old Testament law. You're a specialist in Torah law. So this lawyer comes to Jesus and he says... What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Uh, which was a common question people would ask a rabbi because you kind of got to see which side of the aisle he was on about things. What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you tell me. You're the expert lawyer. Uh, so what does the Torah say? This is a hail paraphrase here. Um, and the guy says, well, you're supposed to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. And you're supposed to love your neighbor as much as yourself. And Jesus says, well, bravo. You nailed it. Way to go. Go and do likewise. At least go and do that. But then we read this in verse 29. Wanting to justify himself, <laughs> he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? What, what Greek word for neighbor are we using, Jesus? And Jesus replied with a story, as he often does. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away 
leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. He says, but when a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, when he saw him, he was moved with pity. Samaritan, a Samaritan. So the Samaritans back then to the Jews, these are the bad guys. Samaritans are not welcome. Samaritans are the other. They're like descended from people who used to be sort of like Jews, but now they've gone this other different way. They're, they're really hated. They're not liked at all. So Jesus is setting up a picture here. He's setting up a picture for these Jewish people that he's talking to. And this would be like, like, like you're in downtown Austin and there's this homeless person and an Aggie walks by and took, took pity on him. And everybody would be like, what are you doing? We are out of, you're in the wrong place. But the Samaritan took pity and he bandaged him, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, giving them to the innkeeper, and said, uh, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll repay you whatever you, more you spend. Which of these, Jesus says, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. There's some, again, there's some powerful stuff here. We could take a, a whole a message to talk about. I just want to hit on a couple of points that open our eyes to this idea of radical hospitality. Number one, why is Jesus telling this story in the first place? He was kind of ready to answer the question and move on to someone else. But this guy, what did he do? He was justifying himself. The lawyer wanted to justify himself by asking, well, who is my neighbor? In other words, who am I really responsible for? So in essence, this, this lawyer, this law expert is asking, how can I get out of going out of my way for people who make me feel uncomfortable, right? And, and see, this is common. This is, a, we, gotta, we see ourselves in all, in, we can all probably see our, a little bit of ourselves in this lawyer, right? Because throughout history, there's something, if there's something in the Bible that we really don't want to obey, uh, we try to make it more complicated than it is, right? That way we can dismiss it as a mystery. <laughs> just, we'll never know. We just, uh, it's unknowable. It makes it a lot easier not to obey. Because the nice thing about a mystery is that as long as you're just discussing it, you don't need to get around to doing it. Uh, we do the same thing, right? And, and there's other questions in the Bible. Like, you know, we, we could ask, we flip the question to who's my enemy? Jesus said, you know, love your enemies. Well, who's my enemy, right? And Jesus says for us to love our enemies. So Christians are like, well, let's parse this verb and look at all the contingencies because there's got to be exception clauses, surely. Um, and God says, turn the other cheek and don't repay evil for evil. Don't live by the sword. And we're like, well, but I mean, I can shoot the guy who's trying to steal my truck, right? Because I mean, that's my truck. Um, don't commit fornication. And we're like, okay, wait, hold on, slow down. Well, how far is too far? What if I get to second base, but I don't steal third? What, you know what I'm saying? Well, how far? And, and yeah, I, I agree. There are legitimate uh, you know, ambiguities in the Bible that, that we wrestle with and valid questions that we sort through. But Jesus sees in his amazing wisdom, he sees that this guy is just trying to justify himself. And he tries to make himself feel better. And so Jesus brilliantly subverts all that nonsense with this parable that shows that this really isn't about sorting out uh, who his neighbor is or isn't. 
It's challenging this man to be the good neighbor. He's challenging him to be the neighbor. See, it's not about who the they are. It is about who you will be. We get so preoccupied. We got to define the they. Who's the they? Who's the valid they and the invalid they? No, no, no. It's about who you are going to be. Who am I going to be? Because there is no us, them in the kingdom. The second thing to highlight in this passage was like we said, Jesus makes the hero the Samaritan. And the Samaritan were viewed as with suspicion in their history, they had intermarried with uh, non-Jews. And so to Jewish people, they were worse than infidels. They, they were worse than pagans. They were outcasts. And Jews had a word for them. They called them half-breeds, which is this terribly offensive word. But that's what they called them, right, right out in the open. And in Jesus' parable, the real bad guys are the, the priest and the Levite. And these guys represented the religious and cultural elite of the day. The priest, I mean, he's the priest, just like a priest would be today. You know, he's like, oh, that's a man of God. And the Levite, that was like the cultural elite, right? And so what does Jesus do? Why does he do this? Because he's showing us when it comes to this radical hospitality in the kingdom, there is no outcast. There's no elite. There's no nationality. There's no race. There's no gender hierarchy in this kingdom, right? There's no Samaritan versus Jew, no us versus them. There's just the people of God who extend hospitality, philozania, and then there's those that we're extending it to so that we can love strangers into family. We just want to love all strangers into family. Amen. The third thing I noticed about this passage was that in the first century, people did not just go on walks, um, leisurely walks, especially down highways where there are robbers. So this Samaritan, uh, if you're, going, you're on the road to Jer Jericho, you're traveling there with a purpose. So that we, don't get the, we don't want to get this idea that the Samaritan woke up that morning and went, I got nothing to do today. I'm just going to walk down the road and see who I can help, right? No, he's, he's got somewhere to go. This is not a, a safe road back then. We're, we know that from history. And so what it implies is that the Samaritan was just like you and me. He was busy. He was busy. He was on his way somewhere, but he made space for the man in the ditch. He was willing to sacrifice for him. While other people, the good people, walked on the other side of the road to avoid being noticed. See, the priest and the Levite, they're not the robbers in the story. They're not the ones that beat him up. They're just what? Busy. They're busy. In fact, it says they, they stayed on the other side of the road. Why would you do that? Because to look at this guy might mean to be moved with pity. It might make you feel uncomfortable enough to have to go do something, right? That guilt can make it harder to just pass by. So the easiest thing is to avoid the issue altogether. Turn your head, stay on the other side, act like you don't notice. But the Samaritan doesn't avoid the other side of the road. He's willing to look, he's willing to see, and he's willing to act. He's willing to be moved out of his routine, out of whatever he was doing for the plight of a stranger. He's willing to be inconvenienced to let the stranger's plight get on the inside of him for a moment and to act towards him. And he's moved to share, to share with him. He takes his own oil and wine. He cleans the wounds and the bandages. 
And it says that he lifts him up onto his donkey. That probably was hard to do. And, and then he has to go out and find an inn, which is a rare thing back then. Find a place to take him. He has to put up money so that place will help take care of him. And, and I love the fact that, too, it mentions he, he goes on. He takes care of his business. He does have something to do. He takes care of his business. And it, it suggests that he's, he's coming back then to follow up, to follow up with <laughs> with this person. That is what hospitality is all about. This story is about making space to care for other people, to share what you have for meeting the needs of others. And it's not based, none of it is based on their, uh, their level of desiring or deserving. It's not based on deserving, but on them being Jesus on the inside. They are Jesus in disguise. That is why we do it. So I want to tie this, this message and this series up by pulling out a few very practical uh, baby steps that we can unpack from these passages today. We talked about a couple of steps last week. Um, I want to talk about uh, three more today. There's a whole lot to digest here, uh, but there, there's a few bites that we can, that, they will rock your world if you get these inside you. I got two do's and a don't, okay? Here we go, two do's and a don't. Number one, the first do, do embrace the truth that the stranger is Jesus. Just embrace the truth. The stranger is Jesus. Never forget that when we're talking about the stranger, any stranger, metaphorically speaking, we're talking about Jesus. We can say this because Jesus says this. He says so. And so we're just going to take him at his word. Um, Jesus says, if, if you say you know me, but you don't actually do what I say, or you don't love your neighbor, he says, in another place, then the love of God is not in you. It's not really in you. That means you may be really good at uh, being religious. You may be really good at it, but maybe you're not as good at being like Jesus. And so which is what we're after here. And if that's you, again, that's not a condemnation. It's a challenge for us to receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit, repent, and it's a challenge to, to move in the right direction, to receive that freedom the truth offers. Move in the right direction. Let the Holy Spirit work in you to make you more like Jesus by treating everyone around you as if they were Jesus. That's just a simple way to do it. How would I treat this person if it was Jesus? If it were Jesus. If I found out, ooh, this is like Jesus in disguise. He was, you know, testing me or something like that. How would I treat this person? Second, do. Do... Maintain healthy boundaries. Okay, this is important. The, the, the Samaritan in this story, he made room for the stranger, but notice he didn't cancel his traveling plans. Uh, in the same way, we, we still need boundaries. You need boundaries around your family, our friendships, our marriages. Very important, you have boundaries. Uh, so boundaries are legitimate. If you don't know your limitations, if we don't have healthy boundaries, you won't know what you can or can't do, and you will uh, end up burning out quickly, and you can end up hurting more people than, than helping. Every author that I read on this subject over the past month or so is just, they all stress the need to be honest about your limitations and your limits, okay? So it's good to have boundaries. What we're talking about here is not just like doing three good deeds a week. That's not the point, like, like a checklist. And it's also not inviting everyone, every person you've ever met in to come live in your living room with your wife and kids, right? It, 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 
it's about creating a sustainable lifestyle of hospitality, right? Sustainable lifestyle of hospitality. And your boundaries may change over time too. That's what's cool is, is they will change over time as you grow, uh, you mature, as your capacity to care changes, your ability to be a blessing changes, uh, you'll be able to do more. You, you can, uh, you know, remember this isn't about having um, time and space for just family and friends. What we want to do is we want to go beyond that. We want to we ask, do we have space in our heart and in our mind and in our lives that goes beyond family and friends? Do we have space for the stranger in need? Are we willing to, uh, to turn and to look and go to the other side of the road, even during a busy day, and be moved by the plight of others? Are we willing to be moved out of our comfort zone? If we're an introvert, like I really am, are we willing to just, just forget that for a moment? And go and help and be Jesus to somebody and recognize the Jesus in them. To include others in our life. That we sh- so so we, want, we want to turn strangers into family, right? That's the ultimate goal. Number three, here's our don't. Don't make your hospitality contingent on some scale of worthiness that you're judging them by. Who's worthy of my help and who isn't? We just don't do this as kingdom people. We, in a way, it takes the pressure right off of you, right? God's not going to ask you, did you properly distinguish between the people who deserved your help and not, right? If, if you were unwise in the amount of love that you share with people, that's okay. God doesn't hold that against you, right? We can, we can be extravagantly loving, extravagantly hospitable. Um, Jesus tore down the walls of separation, He's made us all into one new humanity. We talk a lot about that in here. We're one new humanity. We're to look at everybody through the grid of this new creation. There's really only one option, or opinion rather, uh, that we have of other people that matters. And that is that Jesus considers them all valuable enough to die for. Every person, unsurpassable worth. No matter who it is you're seeing, just tell yourself, that person has unsurpassable worth to Jesus. That person... That person, yeah, even that person. Oh, and that person, unsurpassable worth to God. God is the judge. We're going to let him do the sorting later, right? We're just going to love, 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 love. Be honest with yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. If you find yourself often saying phrases like those people, those people, or gravitating towards groups or shows or things that, all they talk about is those people. If you find yourself towards that. Because what that means is you're looking at people, not in terms of individual people, but as a category. You're looking at, and for sure, if you got right down to it and got to know them, you're looking at people as caricatures and not human beings. But it's a convenient thing. Those people, in quotes right there, that is a, a convenient thing because it gets us off the hook. Uh, you know, it's not, it's like, we're not going to do anything because those people, it's just what those people got themselves into. The phrase, those people, can I just be honest? It's a shortcut to thinking, right? It's a shortcut to thinking. It's a shortcut to leaning in and learning uh, what someone else's personal story is. And if any of that lands with you, I, I encourage you just to remember, remember, never forget the outrageous hospitality that God has lavished on you when you were far away, 
when you were a stranger in desperate need for him, for his love. And in light of what God has done for us and the sacrifice he's willing to make towards us, how can we not be willing to extend that same hospitality to people at all times? So really in, the light, in light of what God has done for us, the, the deserved question should just be taken off the table. We can take it off the table. When Jesus died on the cross, he tore down those walls of division. He tore down the ranking system. He, he ripped down the file system. He tore down all the categories. He rendered them all void and utterly, utterly irrelevant in Jesus Christ. Because of what he's done on the cross, there's just people. There's just people. And we're to see people as people of unsurpassable worth. Jesus said, when I was hungry... You fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was sick, you visited me. You took care of me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you shared your clothes. So we we need to honestly ask the question, is there anything in my normal flow of life that looks like this? Is there anything that looks like this? As we get set to take communion now together, and if you have those elements with you, you could be getting that ready. If you're home watching this by live stream, we'd love, for you to, we'd love for you to be here with us, but we'd still want you to take communion with us. And so you can uh, get that piece of bread and that juice and that cup right there where you're sitting. Get these things ready. If you didn't get one when you were walking in, there's some in the tables uh, around the sanctuary. But I want to challenge everybody to ask themselves this question as you're sitting here holding these elements. Ask, them, ask yourself, is there any space in my life for the stranger, for the other among us? Those that are off of everybody else's radar. Do I really look like the Samaritan in this passage? Are we seeing the stranger as Jesus? And if not, then what priorities maybe need to be adjusted in my life? What do I need to readjust in the regular flow of my life so I have the space and the time beyond me and my loved ones to include the stranger? As we take these communion elements out, we're going to prepare our hearts to receive the bread and the cup. Ask the Holy Spirit right now to just tweak whatever he needs to, whatever, we, whatever we needs to be done Help him to reveal those things so that we can become more like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we hold in our hands this morning this bread and this cup in remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're reminded, Lord, of how appropriate this is that we're doing this because it was around a table of hospitality that Jesus sat and he broke bread with his disciples. A bunch of misfits who were on the outside. They were the strange, the untouchables. There were a bunch of freaks who Jesus turned into friends. And here we remember what it cost you, Lord, to show us radical hospitality when we were far away, when we were strangers. But here, Lord, we also remember that you tell us to go and do likewise. 
So we do this and we do that in remembrance of you. We take this bread and we drink this cup as a reminder of our call to be godly, to resemble you and to mimic you in the way that we show hospitality to other people. In the crucified and resurrected name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The body of Christ broken for you. the blood of our perfect Jesus who was shed for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God is good. God is good. Can we just worship him? Can we give him a praise offering for how good he is? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done for us, Father God. We thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. You may stand to your feet this morning uh, as our prayer partners are coming down forward at this time. Uh, If you need prayer for anything at all, anything going on in your life at all, if you will come down, we would love to stand in faith and pray with you, whether it's something going on in your body, you need a healing, you need a touch from the Lord, a miracle in any kind of way, uh, maybe something involving a relationship or a job situation or whatever it is. uh, It's not the same when we pray. And if you are here today and you want to say yes to Jesus, If you're like, I just, I want to be in on this. There's something in my heart leading me to take this next right step with Jesus. We we ask you, come on down. Just follow that, that pulling of the Holy Spirit. Come down and let these guys pray with you. They would love to lead you into that next right step. If you're one of our guests today, make sure you go by our Welcome Center before you leave and let them know it's your first time. And uh, invite somebody to Easter service with you. Invite somebody. Invite somebody you know. Invite somebody that you're friends with. Invite somebody you're not friends with and invite them to Easter service. It's going to be great. We're going to have a good time. And so, my friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May he lift his countenance towards you and grant you grace and peace in these days that we're living in. Go be the kingdom out there to strangers and friends alike. Amen. Bye-bye.